Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by Dave Ubbin and another friend of ours, Audrey Snyder, our Penn State beat writer, Midwest recruiting specialist, and just a hell of a writer. And uh, what we're going to do on this show Uh (laughs) is chuck it deep. (laughs) Uh, If you don't know what that means, you're going to find out. Uh, Audrey, thank you so much for taking time. After a busy weekend to join us, you almost uh, were covering a game that could have gone a little bit differently there. Uh, how are we doing this weekend? I'm great. Glad to be on with you guys. Yeah, Penn State was definitely on upset alert for 58 minutes this weekend uh, and then had it and in then the bag what they by do? the 60th minute. They chucked it deep. <laughs> that's, that's all they got to do. A great time. To beat uh, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Dave, uh, what's going on? What'd you have for dinner tonight? Uh, I haven't eaten dinner yet, Ari. I'm going to do it after the show. Late okay. dinner. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, Good, uh, so we can, we can stay Wawa on track tonight. Gobbler sandwiches for anyone. Yeah, that was uh, did, that was a tough. Sorry, I to did. Take. I was. I did feel sorry for you because I have been in that place where I'm looking forward to eating something for like hours, almost planning my day around you it, have, and then you get not, it stolen from underneath you, and it's, it's it's a tough place to be. It's just not typical to know what you're having for dinner at eleven and like look forward to it. Yes, and it's like after a long day of work, being home uh, in a hotel room alone with the peace and quiet, with the games on. You know, you know, getting into the gobbler and I had, I had the saddest Caesar salad of all time last if night. If you it cover was, a game on Saturday and then head back to the hotel, the options are minimal. This is how you end up getting Benihana delivered to your apartments. I mean, see, like your, Uber uh, Eats is where I understand it. What you got on Uber Eats is the issue here. And <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've dug really deep into that. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the latest edition of our Sunday Sound Off episode. Um, we have a ton of voicemails. It's getting to the point now where it's getting really hard to choose. So we appreciate that. Um, if you have ones that are evergreen, maybe we can dip back into weeks where we don't get to you and uh, use them in, in future episodes. But the fact that you guys are participating as much as you are uh, really makes the show better. It makes it more fun to host and of course makes it more entertaining for you. So uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, and, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review uh, comment, like share, subscribe, interact with the podcast as much as you can. The same goes for the YouTube channel. Um, all the links to the YouTube and podcast feeds can be found in our show's description. The more interaction that we can get from you guys on these channels, uh, the better it is for the show. And, and it really helps us expand and, and keep going in the positive direction. Join us every Thursday, Saturday and Sunday on YouTube live Thursday for the pick show in the middle of the day, Saturday night, for the Saturday reaction show that we did last night. And then of course, Sunday for the Sunday sound off show. If you're interested in leaving a voicemail and you haven't done it yet, you haven't mustered the courage to call in and tell me that you think I'm an idiot. Do we need to call in for that? Yeah, no, no. You tweeted at me a lot. um, And a lot (laughs) of people tweeted at me a lot, but the phone number is three, one, six, four, six, two, nine, eight, five, two. 
Again, phone number is 316-462-9852. I always say it twice because that's what they used to do in the infomercials when we were growing up. And it just Mm -hmm. makes it seem like they can't just like hit, you know, back 15 seconds. You know, back in the day, if you missed it on TV, you just missed it. You can also text that number and we get those, but we will certainly uh, favor the voicemails because it makes the show better. Lastly, be sure to sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you can get your daily fill of college football news from the athletic team. You don't have to be subscribed to the athletic to get this newsletter um, and it's pretty extensive we do a lot of work on it and I think you would enjoy it but if you're not subscribed to the athletic for college football coverage I don't even know what you're reading it's just what I don't even know what we're doing with ourselves so if you haven't signed up for the athletic give us a shot okay guys why don't we go right into it no food takes no no putting nuts in the oven just straight to voicemails let's go let's go with the first one Hi, Ari and Dave. This is Jacob from North Carolina. Ari, your point about lack of dynamic players on the Michigan offense is well taken. Uh, if the comparison is to Emeka Abuka or Marvin Harrison Jr. at the wide receiver position, uh, but I don't know how you get through a conversation about dynamic playmakers and don't mention J.J. McCarthy as a weapon that provides an advantage at the quarterback position over both Ohio State and Georgia. So to Dave's point, I would disagree with his assessment of the relative strength of the offensive line. I think Georgia's offensive line is better than Michigan's this year thus far, but I think the Michigan defensive line has been very impressive. Um, Look forward to your thoughts on this. Love the show. This is when the show is working at its optimum, like its perfect pace. Somebody listens to the show on Saturday night from the reaction. They hear something Mm -hmm. we talk about, and they join us for the next. That's That's the intention of this. It's so people can. Uh, if you're punching your steering wheel or screaming while driving because you think something that we're saying is dumb, <laughs> this is your opportunity to come in. So we really appreciate you for bringing that in. And I got to say, I'm excited to answer a Michigan question. I think it's going to segue into a good Penn State discussion, too. But also, I'm excited to have a Michigan discussion that doesn't have to do with uh, 4K video cameras. So oh um, boy. Oh <laughs> here, boy. It's, a, it's, a, it's a question that I feel like we've had to answer for weeks now. Because Michigan's a legit national championship contender in the Big Ten favorite, how good is J.J. McCarthy? I mean, did you not see enough last year, Ari? I saw that he made the plays that were there for him. I never viewed J.J. McCarthy as a person that would put the team on his back and go win them a game. He doesn't and have that's to, not, though. Doesn't but I'm saying to. he's going to have to. This is no, a playoff discussion. No, he's not. You don't think he's, he's going to have to? Are you going to throw out the term "game manager"? Ari, is that where this is headed? Because <laughs> well, it feels I mean, like that's the, what you're about to say. The question couched it as a discussion about dynamic playmaking ability, and they don't have it for the most part at the wide receiver position. They have two very talented running backs, but in the world where they don't have the receivers like Marvin Harrison and Mecca Buka and some of the other guys that are out there, I know Audrey's familiar with this too with the Penn State situation. Oh yeah. Do they have a quarterback that can make up for that lack of playmaking ability on the outside in a close game against a Georgia team that you think they can beat? Here's the so, thing, Ari. You mentioned, and I know the question mentioned, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Igbuka. Nobody else in college football has that either, right? Like that To me, that's an unfair comparison um, because you're comparing arguably the best guy in college football and saying, oh, well, nobody else has Marvin Harrison. Well, but yeah, if you look at the playoff teams, Audrey, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've got Florida studs. State has Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and... Washington's got a two guys that we might want to be in this conversation teams that they're going to play. If they get to the stage are going to have these guys. I mean, it's, you're going to have to out athlete somebody eventually for sure. But I also think too, if you're Michigan, you've got an insanely good defense. Right. And I think that's where, and I know Uben has, has been getting more familiar with our lovely style of play here in the big 10 and the grind it out. 
uh, this beautiful game that we play here in Big Ten country. I think that's Which disgusts him. It does. It actually makes him completely disgusted. But I think that's where Michigan gets the edge, right? And that's where they're going to have to do it. Now, do they have the the skill position talent? No, but can you come up with some takeaways and come in a game like this? Can your suffocating defense find a way to flip a game? Absolutely, right? Like, it feels like, and this has kind of always been my thought just covering, you know, the Big Ten for, shoot, 14 years watching Penn State. Sometimes it feels like, we're almost playing a different game over here in Big Ten country sometimes. And you then are. I turn on the games at night and I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, my God, like, look, look at these offenses. Uh, it's just, I think, meshing different different styles. But I, I think the kind of the unfair thing is is to throw out Marvin Harrison Jr. just because nobody else has that. So, so as you were talking, like the anger was boiling in my stomach. I this love is that. what happens. Welcome to the show. That. I'm going to retort and then I'm going to allow Dave to jump in here. I take great exception to the notion that Michigan is going to game manage itself at the quarterback position to a national championship. And I know teams have really good defenses, but Georgia had to score 42 points in a game against Ohio state last year to win with one of the best defenses we've ever seen. Like Michigan is not going to big 10 football its way to a national championship. It is going to find itself in a game against a Florida state or a Washington or a Georgia, or dare I say even Ohio state at the end of the year where they're going to have to score points and their quarterback is going to have to make a play. And JJ McCarthy last year, If you go back and watch the Michigan-Ohio State game, and I've seen it a few times, he made plays. He put the ball where it needed to be, but did he was he put in a position in that game at any point to go out and and do something and win that game for that team? And he wasn't. So the question is, if they lack the dynamic skill position players um, at the outside and they get into a game with a Georgia or Ohio State or Florida State or Washington or one of these teams that scores in bunches and they get into a shootout because defenses... I don't care how good you are, eventually in an indoor air-conditioned dome, you're going to get into a game with a team that is just as talented or more talented than you, and you're going to have to score points in bunches. And is J.J. McCarthy the X factor in your mind for Michigan's football program? By the way, the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman Trophy right now, is that the guy? Is he that dude? Yes or no? I don't think he is. Is he really the favorite? Yeah, he, he, he... Coming That's into the weekend, suspect. he, uh, yeah, okay. he well, I mean, what down. happened was Penix played in a close game with ASU, yeah. and that's how fickle the, the odds are right now, but... Ryan Day would like a word, Ari. Well, people, he's look, got, we got a into a discussion. A word. I mean, Ubbin thinks there's a 0% chance that Marvin Harrison can win the Heisman, and that's the reason why he's the favorite, because people vote mm-hmm. for the quarterback of the best team, and Michigan's the best team right now, and their quarterback is, is good, but I don't know that I view J.J. McCarthy as a... Caleb Williams or uh, Drake May or somebody. Ari, I don't know. Like, I don't, am I listen, wrong? Listen, yes. Listen, Ari. It's not. You that called JJ him a McCarthy. game manager thirty seconds ago. Uh, I didn't. We were tossing out the term. We were just discussing the term. Here's the thing, Ari. It's not that he is. Nobody's asking him to be Caleb Williams. Okay. The question is: Is he good enough to win a national title for them? And I think that the answer to that is quite very clearly yes. Okay. It's not like yes. Okay. Uh, you know, Rome Wilson is not is not uh, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay, Cornelius Johnson is not a Mechag Buka. That's fine, but you're just assuming that they're not going to be able to get open like Penn State's receivers. I think they're better than Ooh. anybody that. Oh, they are better State's than Penn State's receivers. Yeah, they have okay. legs. And you're yeah. you're assuming that they're just not going to be able to get open, and I think they will. That's not what I'm saying at all. Well, but okay. But J.J. McCarthy is still the same guy who threw for 340 yards when they did get in a shootout against TCU. And we can yeah. talk about that game all we want, but they did win the game. They won the football game. Or they lost who the football game. Who won the football game? game. 
Yeah. TCU won the football game. Yeah. But J.J. Right. McCarthy played he played well enough to win the football game. That's just the reality. There was a lot of weird situation. things that happened in the game. I covered it. I I'm, I'm not gonna I'm just come saying, down on JJ McCarthy for them losing the game. That was not game. game managing. Okay. But I'm and, saying and, if and he there's can't help it that his team is so good that they're never losing games and they're beating rec- the crap out of people. When their receivers don't get open, is JJ McCarthy gonna make a play? He's gonna yeah. have to. And is he gonna put that, the team on the back and be the is he the difference? Maybe that play is a check down and one of your running backs makes a play, right? Maybe that play is your defense stepping up in the big moment. Um, I don't know, Ari. Maybe there's some signs that point to some things for things breaking Michigan's way. You're yeah. oversimplifying things on this, Ari. I, I, I don't You're I don't the person that you. says that great defense falters in the playoff. You're the that's, one that says what? it, so don't... I don't say it. Where are you? Are you just Can making roll things up? That that? Your, your whole thing with Alabama this year was that their offense wasn't going to be able to score enough games, even if their defense was great. And a playoff that's because to win. they didn't have a quarterback or any skill position talent. Michigan has good running backs. They have a above average quarterback, and they have good enough receivers. Well, and an elite of the question isn't about whether he's above average. I know he's above average. That's he's good a top to fifteen pick title. in some mock drafts. I know that's he's above average. I'm asking title. you if you think he could put the team on their back when they're playing Georgia, and I'm getting a bunch of, of comparisons <laughs> to what it's like to beat Illinois. He's like, not put yourself in the to. dome, bud. He's not going to have to put the team on his back, Ari, but he's good enough for Michigan to win the national title, and that's all there is At to. a certain any, point. Any conversation about him in the Heisman is ridiculous, okay? He will not be on my eyes about it. You, you watch Heisman the playoff, voters? right? Yeah. I am, yes. I am as well. Okay. I want to know what team has won a national championship at any point in the last decade that didn't have a moment where the quarterback has to be electric at some point. I mean... It doesn't happen. Even Ari, Stetson Bennett the, made a bunch of important plays. That, Ari, that, you're you're. It's not his fault that Michigan doesn't get in tight games. It's just it's not, and he hasn't had to be put in those situations. Are you before. saying? But he I'm asking you when he gets put in that situation. Do you think he will be the difference maker? <laughs> I think he can be, but he's been put in that situation almost never, and that's yeah. not his fault. You haven't. I just seen don't him feel like we're answering the man's question. The, the man's question is: Is I he am. the person that's going to make up for the lack of? explosive first round playmaking talent at the wide receiver position. Yes or no? And the answer, the answer is that yes. he's going to have to be, they're going to have to find a way yes. to win. Uh, Cause yeah. they're absolutely going to need him to do that. And Michigan Ari, is not, I, if Michigan I doesn't win a national like, title, it won't be because of JJ McCarthy. Ari, that's just, it's not going to be. I feel like you've opened the door for something here, Ari. And I don't know if mm-hmm. it's a door we want to go down, but I feel like you cracked it open. But is he able you to chuck it deep? <laughs> well, not quite. That's not quite where I was, quite where I was going with this. Uh, but you mentioned Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Kyle McCord, your early mm-hmm. impressions. Is he the guy that can get the no. Buckeyes over the hump? No. I said I'm on the podcast. Well, well, but he has all the skill position talent. So wouldn't that fast track in the dome? He's got all the talent. Wouldn't he have the advantage? If somebody called in and said, do you think Ohio State has the X factor, a quarterback to win a playoff game? My answer would be no. The question that wasn't the question. The question was I, I was just Michigan you, you doesn't have the door. it. Yeah, you yeah. No, I think that Ohio State cannot beat Georgia as a result of their mm-hmm. less than dynamic quarterback play. Um, I think I think that you need a guy. I mean, even Stetson Bennett is like very underrated for what he did for that team the last few years. Like you need a guy who can go make you a play. I think JJ McCarthy takes what's there for him. I don't recall very many instances during his career in Michigan, and maybe because they haven't played in very many close games where Michigan explicitly won because he did something outstanding. Yeah. But that's that's all right. Which is this how is you make up for the lack of skill at other positions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know what you might get a chance to do in a couple weeks, Ari? Come to Beaver (laughs) Stadium. That's a really good segue. You're a podcast veteran. Yes. Um, Audrey, I think that we kind of covered that. You know, we don't agree. But um, Audrey, I hate to ask you this question because I think I know the answer. But Uh do you think Penn State can beat Michigan? No. No, I don't. Um, I, I think at this point, based off what we've seen from the Penn State offense, which has been lackluster and underwhelming, uh, not explosive enough. As we've seen, they've not been wanting to check it deep. Um, but when they needed to kind of save the season or at least prolong the season and, and kind of keep everything at play this weekend, they did. Uh, yeah, to me, the offense is too concerning. And like they're going to need probably a defensive touchdown or two um, to just have a shot against Michigan. And, and that's really not what I was expecting. I mean, I picked Penn State to win going into Ohio State. I was completely fooled by this roster, thought there was enough talent there. Uh, the defense has been tremendous, but when you have an offense that can't even be average, I mean, like this is a, literally a team that just struggled against Indiana, like totally struggled for 58 minutes against Indiana. That's problematic. Uh, so no, I, I will not be picking them to pick Michigan. They've, they've made me look like a fool once this year, Ari, and you will not fool me twice. Yeah. Um, I'm just like looking at some of the receiver stats going back. Cause I can't get over what you guys are, are saying to me. Uh, the five best wide receivers in college football this year, in no particular order, are Marvin Harrison Jr., Keon Coleman, Rome, Rome Odunze, Malik Neighbors, Xavier Worthy. Other uh, people that probably deserve to be in that discussion are Emeka Egbuka, Johnny Wilson, Luther Bord- Burden, and Troy Franklin. I don't know if I'm leaving off anybody, but that is a lot of elite-level first-round receiver talent uh, that will be likely participating in the playoff, or at least in the discussion to participate in the playoff. And I think that it's a nice segue back to Penn State because I think there is a epidemic of teams that have a lack of posi- of explosive playmaking ability at the receiver position. It's really, yeah. really, really hard. Yeah, and I think this is where, you know, Penn State's inability to recruit elite level wide receivers has shown up, right? I mean, they've don't get me wrong, they've produced some great receivers during James Franklin's tenure, guys like Chris Godwin, Jahan Dotson. KJ Hamler, right? Like there've been a lot of those explosive type players, but you just look at it on this roster and Keandre Lambert Smith is their number one guy. Um, And I think he's definitely got that potential, but when you don't have anything else around him, I mean, they're banking on Kent State transfer Dante Cephas to kind of step up and really be that guy. And so far this season, Cephas hasn't been that guy. So yeah, it's a lot to ask, but Ari, you and I, we were both buying in on Drew Aller, the Mm five-star quarterback. A lot of people are starting to kind of buy out what, are on the you guy. Selling stock or what? I'm not selling stock. I am not selling stock. Don't get I'm that twisted. I, I think there's not enough talent around him. I think Penn State's offensive line has also been underwhelming. 
uh, which is not what I expected. I mean, you've got Nick Singleton, one of the most explosive players in college football, and we just haven't seen it. Singleton has yet to rush for 100 yards in a game this year. Ubin, you're out. You're selling stock. Yeah, because he's missing the easy stuff. And that is the biggest thing. That's the biggest concern for me. When you have a relatively clean pocket, you have an open receiver, and you're throwing it wide of him by a yard and a half, or you're throwing dirt balls, it's just like, that. that's... That that's that, I see enough of that, and, it, and especially when you do it in big moments. Okay, yeah, it was rough going uh, mm-hmm. against Ohio State, but there were a lot of throws that you just you have to have, especially in that situation. And if you can't make those, that's a problem. Uh, obviously, I get all of the the hype around him. He looks like a first round quarterback. The arm strength, you know, in the event that he does get to chuck it deep, is fantastic. But you got to make mm-hmm. a lot of other throws, you know, and like he's. You know, in a lot of ways, like smells a lot like the white Joe Milton in some ways in that like you just don't really you see a lot of misses on throws that you've got to have. Well, the thought process coming into the season and the reason why people were buying into Penn State, myself included, was that you were anticipating Penn State having a player who came out looking like a first round pick. Uh, at least by week four, and they're not getting that production from him. And it's not to say that it won't come eventually. But um, if you're not going to get dynamic quarterback production from the guy that was supposed to be the difference between uh, Penn State. Great and elite. Uh, great and elite and, yeah, and Penn State of now and in the past. I mean, hell, I've covered a lot of games with you, Audrey, where Trace McSorley played his ass off and Jahan Dotson made plays. And I mean, they've had guys there for 10 years like that. Yeah. Like I, it didn't even occur to me because I thought Cephas was going to be that guy this year where, you know, they would have their Dotson this year. And I was thinking the entire Testable. game with Jahan Dotson. If Deshaun Johnson was on this team, they might have won that game. Like I think that's like literally the difference. There were two, there were two mm-hmm. recruiting wins away from winning that game. Julian Fleming would have been Penn State's number one receiver, Ari. There's yeah. a, there's a name from your Ohio State past. Yeah, and <laughs> um, I don't know that he would have been the difference. He's a good no, player. But he he's not a great player. Yeah, but um, but he, he would have definitely been uh, he is one. the I think he's the poster boy of what needs to change there. Like if I, you know, like that's yeah. next time that happens, he can't be going to an Ohio State game against Penn State wearing an Ohio against the world t-shirt. It's just that remember we were together when yes. we saw that? It's like and we both I, was, said, I still to this day could not believe that we that that would happened. You know, I, I why? It almost felt like uh not only did Penn State not get them or get him, it almost felt like he was badgering them. It's like I I don't know, you yeah. know, what the motivation was or if it was just his way of saying, "Hey, I'm a Buckeye." But it's like how how do you miss on the guy and then miss on him so much that he would do that? Um Okay, before we get into the next voicemail, I also want to make sure that I say something that I didn't say. Uh, Georgia has a hell of a receiver duo, too, uh, with Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey. Lad is insanely good uh, and very fast. Seeing him in person for the first time uh, Saturday was very impressed, super healthy, a lot of yak, a very, very tough situation and uh, to defend. And if Michigan is on that stage, uh, I, I think that, J.J. McCarthy is going to have to go to Superman mode. Do you guys think he can do it? I haven't seen it yet. I don't think that he can't. I just don't think I've seen that type of level yet. So we'll see about that. Before we go to the next voicemail, you know I'm a history buff. Sure. I love history. Can we acknowledge the history made today, Ari? This is the first time that my daughter took a dump on me? It's taken this long. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised, Ari. No, not, yeah, that's, that's, she's got to step up her game. Uh, when you have the chance to do that, you got to take advantage. She's had a lot of them, I assume. Yeah, no, no. I've, I've, I've done a good job of uh, of avoiding it, but today was the day. 
Ari, I believe we had a semi-heated argument earlier this year of whether or not Iowa would have a over-under oh. that's, that dipped below Oof. 30. And folks, we got it today. We got it today. Yeah. We'll see if it stays there. But Is that just the unanimous sickos game of the week on Thursday? <laughs> I, think it, I think it has to be in honor. It's the lowest line in the history of, in the recorded history of college football. Iowa, Northwestern at Wrigley Field. On August 1st, Ari, of this year, the Cubs played a game against the Chicago or against the Cincinnati Reds and scored 29 runs. So we may have have a game in that stadium that saw more runs than we could see points on Saturday. It's also too moment. like the weather is not going to be very good either. So like, is it, it ever? Almost, is I, it ever? Has there ever been a nice day in Wrigley Field? I don't know. Uh, it's either hot as hell or cold as hell, and there's never any in between. <laughs> I feel like, but that's just my experience in Chicago in general. So yeah, that's. Uh, the lowest total I've seen, and like you said, in recorded history, and I don't think that any psychopath could take the over of that. No, I'm, I mean, I always hit the under on that number a lot this year, but I, to me, it feels like a moment in human history, like the four-minute mile, like reaching the moon, where we do things as, as, a, as a mankind, as a sport, that people thought weren't possible, and yet we're here. We're here. In this moment. And I feel privileged to be alive to see it. It's made my day. Thank you, Iowa. That's all. You know what you should do? What? Bet it. Eh. You don't bet. Just this will be a good time to to, to dabble a little bit. Eh. This uh, I got an email last week because Penn State played Northwestern earlier this year. So I got an email from Northwestern because, like, you know, you stay on their list once they email you your parking pass. And they're like, tickets available at Wrigley. And I was like, this absolutely not. Like, do not send me this email. How much like, are those going for? I don't know, but I can't imagine. I, I, I do not know. I did not click the email. You've um, got to be able to get in the door for single digits, right? I would think, right? I am always, I love to see the configuration at these games when they get the baseball stadiums and like they do mm-hmm. it. Um, I covered Penn State in the Pinstripe Bowl, James Franklin's first bowl game here. Um, open air press box in January. Let's let me tell you about that. Uh, College Fort- football administrators hate that bowl game yes. so much. Every year I hear complaints about literally everything about that bowl game. Yeah, I'm still waiting. The media shuttle never came back. They just left <laughs> me there. Um, but I do like the configurations for those games. I love to see um, how they do it. I mean, I'll definitely try to to peek a glance of that because Penn State and Maryland play at the same time on Saturday. So I'll try to like just see what it looks like. But yeah, that's just going to be absolutely so proud of Iowa. This is it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Trip Tepper said that today's Giants Jets game was Iowa Northwestern, and it was. But did you see that dynamic comeback by Zachy Wilson there at the end of the game? We should be so. And the weather, the weather was absolutely disgusting. I mean, just an absolute downpour. The guy was slinging that pigskin. It looked like they (laughs) lost, and he he had a few darts down the field that got him in a field goal range to tie it at the end of regulation with mere seconds left on the clock and they spiked it with one second left to kick a field goal and tie it to go to overtime. And then one just, you know, yeah. I thought that was highly entertaining for no particular reason. Okay. Uh, next voicemail. Hey guys, this is Brandon from Oklahoma. I'm a longtime listener of the show and I kind of agree with Ari now. Uh, you play to win the game after the Kansas game. Um, we had the ball with like two minutes and 30 seconds left on the 40 of Kansas and we, we couldn't do anything with it. Like we all we did was run the ball up the middle multiple times. Why? Why? All we did was punt. We make a first down right there. Yeah, we burn their timeouts, but that doesn't matter. I mean, like, they had two minutes and 30 seconds left to drive down the field and kick a field goal. We were winning by one point. Do we really think our defense was going to hold up 
even with how good they are, they were going to score. We needed to score or at least get a first down to burn more time. Ari, you're 100% right. Why aren't coaches more aggressive in that situation? Because our defense had done everything they could at that point, and Kansas was on fire. Long-time listener, really love your guys' show. Take care. Bye. Brendan, I appreciate you calling in and, and leaving that voicemail because you know what my number one pet peeve is in football besides the cowardly punt? Um, are teams. when teams get the ball back uh, winning by a field goal or less than one score and there's two and a half minutes left in the game and they're around midfield, kind of like in this scenario, and coaches just run it three times to get them to burn timeouts mm-hmm. rather than playing offense and trying to to get first downs because it almost feels like you're resigning yourself to giving them the ball back. Mm-hmm. knowing that they don't have any timeouts. It's like, okay, we're going to trade this possession for your timeouts. The it's cowardly like, you, is handoff. That a, is that a really, really good trade? Like when you think, when you simplify it down to that, I'm going to trade this possession and give you the ball back for your timeouts, especially considering the fact there was an eternity left. And in college football, the clock still stops with the two minutes, under two minutes in the first, or in the, in the game. So if you gave a coach uh, the ball at their own six yard line with two minutes left and no timeouts, that is an eternity to go all the way down the field. So, you know, I, if I were a coach, I would be throwing in that scenario. It's not like Oklahoma couldn't move the ball in the game. They were moving it up and down all the entire game. And I, and I particularly hate it in situations where, um, the team that gets conservative and punts it back had no hard time moving the ball the entire game. Then all of a sudden you're just going to hand the ball back. And that's why you lose. I, I, I know this offense very, very well. Um, and I think I'd have to ask some defensive coordinators about this, but I'm seeing a trend when teams face this offense because a lot of it is built off of, you know, pre-snap reads, and it's a numbers game in a lot of ways. And I think what a lot of defenses are doing to combat this Baylor offense is they're showing numbers that tell you, we got to run the ball here, we got to run the ball here, and it's a trap. And then they bring rushers from weird places and they stack the box post-play. When pre-play, you look at your numbers. Like, okay, we got six blockers. They've only got five guys in the box. We're going to run it. We're going to have a free rusher. But then they bring guys or they creep a guy down. And all of a sudden, they got seven guys in there. And I think I'd have to look at the specific scenario. But I've seen like Tennessee is facing this a lot of the time. Um, people got really mad uh, late in the game uh, when they were running the ball in a situation that, that called for them to be a little bit more aggressive. And I think defenses are kind of doing that to make offenses keys, especially in that offense, sort of work against them. And I don't know if this happened in that specific scenario. I'd have to go back and look at exactly what the defense was. But I'm seeing that a lot as a way to combat this Baylor offense that's so many. I mean, you know, a decade ago, there was one team running it. Now there's like a dozen, maybe 15, something like that in the sport running some version of this. Um, And a lot of it is based off the numbers in the box. Ari, I'm surprised you this because to me this was something that would have like sent up your spidey senses. Uh, yesterday in the Penn State game, Tom Allen had what I thought was an absolutely egregious decision. You're talking about cowardly yeah. handoffs. Yeah, we um, talked about it on the show last night. They didn't even try to score. I yeah, almost three handoffs. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I, on my yeah. uh, on my my score sheet last night, I wrote a big old turtle next to it, just completely turtled up. I, I mean, that to me was like that. That's when you look at going too conservative, and it's like. Yeah, you were content there attempting a field goal despite missing one earlier in the game from around that same distance. Um, yeah, you, you play to win the game, Ari. I, you you and I align on something which is yeah. alarming to me. You know, you uh, and then you look at what happened. What happened? They tied the game the ball at twenty. Back and then what happened? 
Say it. Chuck the deep. <laughs> that was game one over. of the worst play calling sequences I've seen in a game this season. It was awful. The, Absolutely awful. It happened in the Wisconsin game, too. I mean, if you were watching that game, the Ohio State-Wisconsin game, I think Ohio State was winning by seven. And uh, Wisconsin was near midfield in the fourth quarter with, I think, 10 minutes or so left in the game. They were facing a fourth and six. And Fickle opted to punt it, and they pinned Ohio State deep. And, you know, I was kind of on the fence because Ohio State's offense wasn't doing very much in that game. And it's like, okay, you want to do the field position thing. But on the first play of the following drive, it was a 30-yard gain, and they were right back to where they punted from. And it's like, is the fear of not getting these first downs so crippling that you just play the field position game? And I was like, you know, when Wisconsin got the ball back, they had their own six. And it's like, what? what why didn't you at least try to get the first down? It's just, I don't know. My whole thing about it, too, is like there's a lot of people that are very analytic math people who say, you know, you have a 4% greater odds of winning this football game if you punt here than if you go for it and whatever. And if you play the game of football like you're playing a hand of blackjack, like a robot, I think at times the numbers can be deceiving in terms of just like, what what do you know about your team? Do you trust your players? What, what mismatch do you have in the scenario? Do you have a play that you know is going to work? There's a lot of the other things that I think have to go into the into the calculus of it is just of just punt or go for it, right? It's not like hit or stay. You know, that, that's why I believe I in momentum. Them. Like I believe yeah. in momentum and, and big momentum swings. Um, and yeah, to me, that is one of the things where like, I do believe sometimes gut feel matters, right? I don't give a shit what the book says, right? Yeah. It's like, sometimes you got to sense those moments. You have a chance to, to change a game. And that's where I'm sitting there. And I was like losing my mind when Indiana's doing that. Cause I'm just like, what, like, do you really, and especially with that situation too, like literally you are playing with house money. Does right, it even like, matter if you lose? No one cares. No, it doesn't. I mean, it, do, it doesn't matter. That's the thing. It's like you have a chance to upset a top 10 team and you're just handing the ball. And you're on times. the hot seat, too. So yeah. that's the, well, the buyout's pretty. Yeah. I also think that uh, going for it for, or throwing it or whatever or trying really hard for four straight plays and turning it over on downs there instead of even trying to tie it is a better result than what happened. Yeah. Because you laid down and it was the score was tied on the scoreboard. But what did you say to your sideline when you did that? What did Penn State see? They saw a scared opponent, you know, and I really do think that it's like, listen, Dave, you're like the Dion beat writer here. So you tell me this, but Dion's really big on um, what does it mean to play scared or what does that, does your sideline That's coach prime to you? Ari. That's coach yeah. Prime. Coach. Yeah. Coach prime. Sorry. Do those people still exist or do they go Which away people? once you started losing the, the people who got mad? If you don't call them coach prime, uh, there was a gang out there of people that around. were just, that I were commenting on as much. Yeah. I haven't been writing as much about Colorado, but they're 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 probably. But still the, yeah, Dion's whole overtime strategy is based on psychological thought. Well, let's not go there because that's that that's a poor strategy, quite frankly. But what's but it? Some but of the what's other it things, based off of? It's based off of vibes, frankly. Yeah. But but in general, he <laughs> does make a lot. It sounds crazy, of but I do think that there is based on vibes moments for a coach, yeah. and that's part of yes. the beauty of it. Well, you gotta outside, feel the, the game. overtime thing is bad, but there are situations where. You feel your team, you feel your your guys, and I think that you do have to make decisions based off of that. The overtime thing, let's leave that alone because that I think is nakedly on his face, just bad team management. But he does do a lot of other things, and I think a lot of coaches could take away, you know, the the aggression and and getting on top of people, not being mm-hmm. reckless. Um, and that's such as all situational. You can't say, well, if this, then this, then this. It's all situational. Um, and I think again. Also, too, you're boxing. Don't you just want to punch space. your opponent in the face every now and then. 
Sometimes you gotta chuck it deep, Ari. Yeah, you sometimes you just gotta deep. just to close your eyes and chuck it <laughs> deep. <laughs> I just think in general we live in a world, and excuse me for a society rant, and the college football conversation, which in some corners of the world is not super educated, and you get a lot of results-based conversation about decisions, rather than like, okay, let's look at some numbers, let's make a process-based decision, and let's live with whatever happens instead of, well, you didn't get it, you're an idiot, oh, you got it, you're a genius. You know, Dion did the same thing in overtime uh, against Colorado State. It worked out for him. It was still bad. Still bad team management. Did the same thing against Stanford. Still bad. Lost the game. I love you, Dan Landing. Uh, lastly, Andrew Cooper here in the chat. It's a bonus <laughs> voicemail via text. I hate this too. I don't. I don't like the. I disagree. Going for uh, for two when you're down fourteen late and you score to get within eight and then not kicking the. If you got to play, I like it. We're seeing that happen in the NFL more often. As somebody who uh, participates in playing the games, it is astonishing how terrible player uh, college football teams are going for two and being successful at it. Like it's astonishingly bad. Right, like, you I don't feel need like to tell me. I, I watched nine overtimes a few years yeah, ago. You do not need to tell me. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the psychological reason for that. Like you would think that every coach would have ten two point conversion plays in the bag. Um, and sometimes they just get out there and it's like, do they even know what they were doing before the play call there? Um, and yeah. I feel like if you're down 14 and then you score a touchdown with two and a half minutes left and then you miss the two point conversion, it takes the wind out of your sails. Like I'm, I'm always for keeping the team as psychologically invested in the scoreboard as I, as I possibly can. And yes, when you're down eight, you're still only down by one score, but there's just that extra hill to climb that just might be too daunting. And it's just a psychological thing for me. So but I, I think, uh, but again, Ari, I, I actually disagree with you on this because if you get it, really, you put you put the fear in the other team that says, hey, if we give this up, if we don't get this done right here, we're going to lose this game. Or and you they're can just winning go for two with touchdown. the game on the line. You can do it at the end. Eh. Eh. Also, too, they don't get it ever. So what's the point? <laughs> the, I mean, it's always yeah, the they're key always here down is eight. You got to have me. a good play. You got to have a good play. You know when uh, that when that happens a lot when the spread seven and a half. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, next question. Hey guys, Casey from Dallas. And um, we all night, me and my buddies have been playing of which coach would you rather have game? Let's just say like 
forget money and let's not talk about whatever. So let's say next five years, who would you rather? If you're Clemson and you have Dabo, would you trade Dabo for Mike Norvell for the next five years? Number two, if you're Oklahoma, you have Brent, Brent Venables. Would you trade him for Lance Letpold for the next five years? And then last one, we'll start off there kind of for fun. You're UCLA. You have Chip Kelly for the next five years. Would you trade him for Deion Sanders? Thanks. Love the show. That's good. Good question. Sounds like they were sitting around having a couple beverages deep in thought. <laughs> I, I love, love that. the would you rather game. It never is about football, though. Uh, I'll, I'll hit some of my yeah. would you rathers uh, later on in I can, some other I can future hit these, episode. I but. can hit these first. Sorry. I'm going to say no, yes, yes for a couple reasons. Okay. okay. You you got to remind me who they are again. I'm, I going I'm going okay. to. I'm going to. I'm going to. So on the first one, I'm going to say no. You keep Dabo over Mike Norvell. But one caveat. One caveat, you get to have a sit-down meeting with Dabo where he says, I want it in writing, I want a written thing that says I was wrong about the portal. I will (laughs) use the portal. We will do the portal. I'd want it to be more general. I would would say do everything you can to accumulate as much talent on your roster as you possibly can. Well, I think they do that. They just don't portal. Yeah, so maybe maybe we no, put they some, do they do the some stipulations. You got to take. They do the Dan Mullen thing. They do the we're gonna out evaluate you thing a little bit too. He's got a lot of weird rules out there. I think maybe that Clemson should be recruiting in the in the realm of Alabama and Georgia, and they're recruiting in the romantic 2017 version of their classes, which was we're gonna go find a three star kid from Kansas that no one's recruiting, and we're gonna turn him into Isaiah Simmons, and like that doesn't work long term. I mean, it, it was a nice story when it happened. But teams are getting more lopsided at the top of the at the top of the sport, uh, more so than they were when they were uh, winning their national championships, and they just haven't kept up their end of the bargain in the high school accumulation phase either. And maybe that's just because they don't find enough high school guys that fit their description of what they're looking for in the Clemson type of of player. But you know, the portal is part of the reason why they're not very good. I mean, the portal's the reason why they're not elite, but mm-hmm. the recruiting in high school is the reason why they've lost four games. Like you're you're yeah. forgetting the second part. Like is is Dabo slipping and losing it all? Like I mean, are we looking at a team that's going to be nine and three every year? I mean, are we looking at a team that wishes they that were might Penn even State be generous if you don't get better? Yeah, right. Like they're not good. At, their their roster isn't good. Mm-hmm. Like and and who would have thought that you would say that if I would have said in 2019, I'd look you guys in the eyes on on a podcast and say Clemson's roster doesn't have the, the you won't be looking it. us in the eyes in 2019 on a podcast. Or that's true. <laughs> well, maybe I, maybe Dollaby. <laughs> It's yeah. true. Uh, so as for our second uh, situation, I just am a believer in Leipold as a more established CEO. I have fewer questions about him than I do Venables. And it's not to say that's an anti-Venables take. It's just a risk management take. If you put Lance Leipold and gave him the keys to a juggernaut, I think he kills it uh, and gets the job done. And I think the Dion question is mostly a recruiting question. Colorado has a lot of things working against them in recruiting. And I will also say that the stipulation here for taking Dion over Chip here is that he also needs autonomy to do whatever he wants to do because that's a big thing that that, yeah. that he has he has leaned into in Colorado and Chip's certainly more accomplished. But Dion in LA going to the Big Ten, recruiting California, 
being able to probably negative recruit a little against the Lincoln situation. Roster building's easier. Recruiting's easier. You have a natural base. Uh, you're not quite in the Texas and Florida place where Dion has the most juice, especially with high school coaches. But California's California. You can still go to Texas and Florida. And you're in the Big Ten. Yeah, well, I suppose. Whatever. Are we, are we really going to get Dion coming to State College? Wait till he sees our airport here. He's going to be like, <laughs> I'm never stepping foot there again. Well, he would just well you're forgetting Dion is private, a country right? boy. He's a country yeah, the boy airport with has limitations, swag, so. Ari. We have, we have limitations here. You can't <laughs> so just okay. fly That's anything. where I'm at. So I Ari, disagree you at on with year? you on two. I think yeah. I would keep Dabo because as much as I am nervous about the way that that program is headed, I also think that he is the only coach in college football in the past 15 years in the modern recruiting era that took a team from solid to elite. Like, I think that that is a skill set that millions well, I mean, what about of coaches. Jim Harbaugh? When I say elite, I mean winning national titles and being on Alabama's level for five years, regardless of okay. turnover. All right. All like, right. I think okay. that like Michigan's a very good team and what Harbaugh did is incredible. Um, but I don't think what Michigan is doing compares to what Clemson did. Is that fair? Like, I, I don't know. I Clemson got to a place where they were having roster turnover every year and they were a legit threat to win the national championship. Like, are you going to tell me that Michigan's a national championship contender next year? Like when you think right, about what they're going to lose? Quick question for you. I don't know. Quick question for you. I'm going to, yeah. at risk of derailing this conversation, I want to, uh, I want to make this a yes or no question. Okay. Okay. Does the news of the last month at Michigan or however long I've been dealing with this, does that give you an asterisk in your mind over the last two years? Uh, no, as of now. Okay. All right. I don't know how, when we get a, a better glimpse of how serious it was and how, mm -hmm. like, I think when more information comes out and it's all over with, I think I would answer that question, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to say yes right now. Audrey, Audrey, where do you stand on there, this? There was a uh, student at Penn State, a lot of Halloween costumes. One was dressed as a Michigan spy in the student <laughs> section this weekend. You know, got the binoculars and everything. It was very well played. Um, and some of the quotes that we've seen, right? Like we saw the the ESPN story over the weekend um, where someone was anonymously uh, quoted as saying, yes, um, they left the UMass game early because who would Hilarious. stay through Penn State UMass in the rain? Like the pay was not worth it for the, yeah. the alleged sign stealing. Uh, yeah, to me, I, I think we got to know more. Like, I don't know enough right now to say definitively whether or not. I know James Franklin was asked about it last week, and he said that, you know, they always mix up their signaling, that they did it during the idle week, that it wasn't a result of what could be happening with Michigan, more so just like every few weeks we take a look. And uh, he made the point, which I thought was interesting. He said, you know, when you go back after a game and you see stuff on film and you say, man, we're in a short yarded situation and look at how they came out with a play that we thought was pretty unpredictable. Um, why were they aligned that way? So I think the coaches, you know, you start to second guess that stuff. So yeah, to me that that's going to be uh, really interesting, but I did see someone in the chat compare Dabo to Ted Thompson and the Packers and not using free agency. And I think they were trying to trigger me, Ari. I think that's yeah. what this was. They were trying to bait me into it. Somebody say not, the name Aaron Rodgers in the chat so you can see Audrey spontaneously. I, I will not speak ill of the late Ted Thompson uh, because, hey, you win a title in Green Bay. They love you forever. Uh, yeah, sure. I would have loved to have seen him be more active in free agency, but you also are dealing with a really tough market there, small market. Uh, the fact that you were able to have so much staying power as long as you did 
Um, I will not speak ill, but I do think that is a pretty good analogy. Uh, if you're very, if you're very into yeah. the NFL and also like the, the lack of willingness to try to make some of these major moves, right? Like they've always been draft and develop. Uh, and that, that feels like where Clemson's at too. So good analogy, right. but you will so not can I finish the question that. now. Yes, go ahead. Finish it. But I will say that the Michigan discussion, the videotaping thing is always in the back of my head when I'm talking about them, but it's not yeah. in the for it's not in the frontal lobe. Um, what's in the frontal lobe, Ari? What's going uh, on in your brain? What's going on Should in this Bears examine? Chargers game right now and whether or not I'm going to pay my mortgage at the end of the month? Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I think that the answer to that question, though, the first one could be very different in a few months. You know, I, I don't I just don't know if I buy the notion that the way that Norvell has built Florida State up this year is a sustainable model. Whereas I think Dabo has has done it in a way that they can sustain if he just wakes up and uh, realizes that the world is changing and he has to change with it. Um, the second one was um, Venables, Venables and Leipold. No, I would keep Venables. Um, he's just recruiting really well. He's just recruiting too well. And I don't. I think we have more uh, proof of concept when it comes to signing top five players at Oklahoma from Venables because we've seen it with our own two eyes. I'm not saying that Lance Leipold wouldn't go in there and um, do a good job, but I think that the job that he does, the program building, what he did with Kansas, is a separate job from taking a, a elite program and making them a team that wins national championships. I think Venables has them in, in the right direction, and I wouldn't want to derail that. Um, and then lastly, I would put. Deion Sanders in L.A. in a hot second because I think we know exactly what UCLA is and what they're going to be under Chip Kelly. And I think that there was a second gear there. It wasn't too far long ago in the past where UCLA was signing top 15 classes. And I think that this is a hot take. Uh-oh. And I don't know. I'm not 100% like I don't have the UCLA manifesto in front of me here. But on the surface, it kind of seems like they're going about building their teams the same way. I mean, it's very portal heavy. And neither team is necessarily lighting the world on fire from a high school recruiting standpoint. But I think that I would certainly rather push my chips in front of Dion to go attack no high school intended. recruiting ranking. What, did I, what was the <laughs> Instead pun? of chip, push my chips in front of Dion. Oh, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, give Dion my money when it comes to the thought process of attacking high school players and trying to recruit well enough from that standpoint. But, I mean, Colorado just did what it took UCLA two or three years to do, didn't it? Mm-hmm. In one year? More yeah. Less. And I think, and again, because I grew up in the, the area outskirts Big stop, of ladies Philadelphia. And gentlemen. Um, so I, I think you look <laughs> at it and you say, like, again, so I saw you had the Chip Kelly in the NFL experience. Do you guys remember, I'm sure you do, the, the Chip Don't Go song at Oregon that came out to, like, try and keep him? Oh, yeah. That song. Every once will in a while, I will, just, I will just randomly, I, I'm sure we can get our producer to splice it in there. It was very good. Uh, very catchy song. Like every once in a while, I'll just end up listening to it on YouTube, and it's it's kind of funny to go back and listen to it now. Um, but yeah, Ari, I think Dion at UCLA would be absolutely insane, and I think it would go really well. Uh, but the Big Ten as a whole is going to be mm-hmm. crazy competitive, right? And I think weird. like, it's, but in the scenario, me, you're UCLA thing. either way. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. your UCLA is going to the Big Ten either way. So it's which coach would you? You know, I thought about yeah. that, but I was like, well, who would I want to attack it with? But, you know, UCLA's done a good job of um, kind of building up their lines. Audrey, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. 
No, no, no. That was it. I just want to ask you if, if you like the song. That was the, the Chip oh. Don't Go song. So now everyone's going to have to go listen it. to it. You're going to have to uh, yeah. we talked about sing it, it with for Dan. Uh, we talked about it with Dan, Ari. Uh, yeah. It's Matt Kearney mm-hmm. coming home. He it's wrote it. Good. It's It's well like written. basically, it was a love letter to Chip Kelly, essentially. Yeah. They kept it. It's a tradition in the stadium now. But uh, Oh, is it? I don't know. That was its, that was its origin. That was its origin. Here we nice. go. Yes. Oh, wait, no. This is the this second is it. one. This is the one. Chip, don't go. Don't you go. He looks like he's really into it, though. Don't you leave the ducks Yeah, the one about Mariota. This is, I think this is the one. Because I recognize that YouTube video. Yeah, no, this is not. That's not the one they play in the stadium, but that's okay. So I didn't know there were two of them now. Uh, but I appreciate so, yeah. the effort, Cam. But while you're, yeah. uh, while you got your this fingers on the clicker, explicit. why don't we go to the next question? <laughs> hey, David and Ari, big question. fans of the show. You guys keep doing what you guys are doing. You guys do a great, great show for us college football fans. Um, this is Mike from Charlotte. I'm a University of Pittsburgh alum and fan, and this year has been the worst year I can remember. And last night and yesterday was the worst part of it. it was, uh, I was angry after the Cincinnati game, after the West Virginia game with the horrible offense performance, and Narduzzi's quote last night makes it worse. Narduzzi is a jabroni. He is a Pittsburgh jabroni. But he is our jabroni, and so he will put his foot in his mouth all the time, and he will try to speak his way out of it. He's not the best communicator, and it shows a lot. I still love Narduzzi. I don't know the quote. isn't great. The quote during ACC media days wasn't great, but I think he cares about his kids and cares about the program a lot more than some other coaches do. Overall, they need to fire, fire Frank Signetti. He is a horrible offensive coordinator. It's been two years now. Last year was terrible. This year is terrible. They need to fire him. Narduzzi doesn't do that. Then it's time for Narduzzi to go. Dave, you wrote a column that I think touches on this. The one thing I will say I noticed when I tweeted about the Narduzzi quote last night was that Pittsburgh fans seem to be very, very pro Narduzzi in terms of defending him. Mm-hmm. And I think that Pittsburgh fans echo the sentiment from the call. And I think that it's possible that Narduzzi is an eccentric personality who doesn't speak uh, the greatest at times. But I think that the people of Pitt really appreciate what he's done there. And I don't know if we're just misunderstanding him as a wholesale. We're not there with him every day, listening to every word that comes out of his mouth. Um, But we do hear the clips. (laughs) We hear the good clips. But I do think that for how bad that comment was received nationally, it didn't seem like the people who root for Pitt were all that wound up about it. Well, for it's my, just a bad my year. window. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, probably. I mean, I think you, you have a lot of capital when you're him. And def- uh, defensively, he's a headache to prepare for. He has done as good a job as about anybody at shutting down some really, really good offenses over the years at Pitt. The problem is that they've basically had two years of great offense in the entire time he's been there 16 with Nate Peterman. And then 21 with Mark Whipple and uh, Pickett. Kenny Pickett. The rest of the years, they've been bad to not good to maybe average sometimes, <laughs> which is a problem. And I think that over the years, that gets tiring for fans to watch, to know their defense is probably going to be pretty good and they can't stop. I mean, they, and they can't score. And that's a tough brand of football. But at the end of the day, you want a bunch of games. And that gives you a lot of capital to put your foot in your mouth from time to time. And I think... He is really honest, and it seems like when the chips get down, he is more honest. Uh, I mean, you forget Narduzzi is one of the three coaches this offseason to publicly voice what Mm -hmm. a ton of coaches had voiced about Dion, which was the talking point of the entire offseason, which was, hey, this cutting cutting guys thing, 
this sucks. <laughs> we shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's honest. I, I don't think he's quite as eccentric as maybe his rep is. It's just he just is honest and says things that maybe when he, he gets mad, he says what he what he feels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's there have been a lot of uh, Penn State specific comments over the years, a lot of, hey, we want to play them. But, you know, why don't you ask their athletic director? Why do, you know, maybe they'll call us back type of comments, um, yeah. even too back to NIL. Like, right. Like that was the whole thing. He yeah. went in on that with Jordan Addison. I mean, he says a lot. Um, but I do get that. Right. If you're pit, like you're frustrated, you're fed up. Um, and again, I think is where I live, I'm three hours from Pittsburgh. So I always get, I hear a lot of it, right? Like, you, you know, you're in the state, you hear a lot of the things from the Eastern side and the Western side of the state. And I understand the frustration. Um, but I also don't know how anything changes. I don't think anything changes, right? Cause Dave hit on, like you get a lot of capital there. Um, and also too, like, I think you got to go back to the brand of, yes, you were exciting with Kenny Pickett, but if we start, and this is kind of where Penn State is at a little bit too, when you get into it, it's like, well, let's talk about what these teams have done in the current day and age of these current recruits, right? Uh, that's tough when you're Pitt and you're Penn State, like you're trying to sell recruits on something that wasn't there in their lifetime. And so I think you have some of that too, that you're, you're working against it. Because um, right now their quarterback was the kid last year, Christian Veyer at Penn State. Uh, so he's Pitt's quarterback right now, like would have was beaten out by Drew Aller by the start of last preseason. So again, like these two programs are kind of always linked. I get the frustration. Um, but yeah, to me, it's it's also kind of nice when you get a coach who says what's on his mind because I feel like I kind of get the other end of the spectrum with James Franklin where it's definitely, I think, more passive-aggressive where Narduzzi is much more aggressive but direct with his aggressiveness. Yeah. Um, so I as a reporter, like, uh, I appreciate it. I feel like uh, Audrey... I do have a sociology minor, and I am fascinated by the Yinzer culture, of which I have very little exposure to. We need like Same. a 30-minute detour on Audrey breaking down the Yinzers. I, I, I don't, because I'm from the other side of the state, so I like. there's a lot of it where I, like more of the Philadelphia things, I, I skew that side, I understand that side, the Wawa culture, yeah. um, that's ingrained in me, but... Yeah, the, the other side of the state. It's too soon um, for the Wawa culture stuff. I was going to so, say, Ari, I think I just heard your stomach growling when I said that. Oh, you, you're hurting me. Pennsylvania in general, I, I'm fascinated by it. As it's an elite food because, state. Well, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. Pennsylvania is low-key the South. <laughs> I think a lot of people well, don't I, I th- it depends where you are, right? So, like, yeah. I grew up in the eastern side of the state. I now live in the swath of land in between, right? Which a lot of people kind of make the joke. It's like you have Philly, Pittsburgh, and Alabama in the middle. And <laughs> there, I mean, it is, it's very rural. Like, I always, whenever Penn State plays Iowa, I tweet out a photo, and I'm like, yep, here's what it looked like when I left State College with cornfields. Here's where it looked like when I got to Iowa. Like, it's a lot of the Big Ten country. Like, you see a lot of similarities. Um, but no, Pennsylvania, it's just a fascinating state in so many regards because you do have like you've got these pockets of area where especially when it comes to recruiting, right? Philadelphia. Hey, Marvin Harrison Jr. He was in Philadelphia. He never even considered coming here. Right. Kyle McCord, Sancho's prep. He was a Jersey guy. So he's not he's not one of us as a Pennsylvania native. He's a Jersey guy, despite going to Sancho's prep in Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's a talent rich state. Uh, but you look in Western PA, the, the talent uh, is is kind of been hit or miss over the years where Philly, because of some of those prep powerhouses, has had it more consistently. Um, but you kind of look at it now and there's some there are some players, definitely some players for sure uh, in Western PA still. So, yeah, really, really fascinating. The recruiting landscape 
And that's where, I mean, that's where Penn State has kind of just really outdone it with Pitt uh, on the recruiting front. Uh, I wanted to make one Pittsburgh-related comment before we go to the next question. Uh-oh. Permanti's brother is hot booty cheeks. Yeah, we've not been down good. this road yeah, already. Yeah. A, they can't, they can't uh, manage the salt balance. It's a problem. Yeah, There's we have no one flavor. in state college. To me, it's I, I don't get it, right? You're just shoving a bunch of stuff on a sandwich to me. And my favorite thing about my former best friend in the entire world, Bill Landis, a Philadelphia native, is that one of his legit real-life pet peeves Uh-oh. being from the city of Philadelphia is when people in or around or around Philadelphia say they're from Philly when they're not. The outside like gr- Philly region. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't like when people from uh, eastern Pennsylvania or in New Jersey that are in the around surrounding areas of Philadelphia claim Philadelphia, and I've always been very amused by that. Yeah, that comes up a lot at Penn State. That's kind of like the popular answer. So like when I'm teaching here and like I'll ask my students, like, oh, from, where are Philly? you from? Outside of Philly. And I'm like, no, but really specifically where, right? Because like I'm, I grew up 45 <laughs> minutes away from the city. And then like, they that's say Ephrata and it's like nine hours away. Yeah, it's not Philly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like you are not, <laughs> so you are not I, in Philadelphia. I have this like long running joke with Landis of like, am I being Philly right now? Is that Philly? Because I, uh, uh, I I like Philadelphia culture. I like their music. I like their food. I, I feel like I would... He says I'm not Philly though, so I'm like, yeah, you definitely. Like I, I don't think we get you through a couple snowstorms, Ari. We get you a couple red Octobers with the Phillies. Um, I, I would love to see you at an Eagles game. I think that would be a really good cultural experience for you. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would. I would I'd ride with the birds. I'd ride with the birds. Um, I also get you really a like Kelly a, Green uniform. Atlantic City. One of the best sandwiches I've ever had in my life was a place called White House Subs in Atlantic City, Pennsylvania. Or Atlantic City, New Jersey. So again, New you're Jersey. not one of us, yeah. or you are not one of us. But uh, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to uh, be one of you. But I'm hoping my best to be an honorary person. I like Meek Mill. Okay, next question. Ari, Dave, this is Sad Husker Nate from New Mexico. Quick reminder, Ari, because you seem to forget this. Nebraska. I'm 32 years old, by the way. Nebraska has more national championships in my lifetime than Ohio State and Michigan combined. Just a quick reminder. That said, I've been married for six years. The first Huskers game my wife watched with me was that Scott Frost lightning game. And she was like, this is it. Six years, two kids, and two cross-country moves later. Still no bowl game. Is it about time that I need to look my wife and kids in the eyes and say, go Big Red, we're going bowling? Well, let me start off by saying... uh... My wife has said, is this it a lot to me in my life? So I don't know. <laughs> so don't feel so bad. But are we at the stage now with Nebraska with Nebraska football where it's like bowl games are like fired up or juiced about it? Well, when you haven't been in yeah. like six yeah. years, you got you got to start somewhere. This is the I, relentless competence that I was talking about before yeah. the season started. And mm-hmm. it looks like they finally it took a <laughs> it was like a one month period of defrosting. But they finally got to. uh a place where they play competent football, and I'm happy for those people. I think that I wanna, it's long overdue, and it looks like they're on their way. I want to apologize to our listener because I don't remember <coughs> the Scott Frost Lightning game. Uh, maybe I just washed that out of my head completely. Uh, so I don't know to the specific game of which he refers. That said, I got to say my long-standing take in college football, and people get mad or whatever. But the two fan bases that impress me the most are A&M fans and Nebraska fans. And I got to say, Ari, we hear from Nebraska fans a ton on this show. I do we on do. social yeah. media. 
and they're fantastic. First of all, huge fan base. Uh, they care. They love college football. They love Nebraska, but they pay attention to everything else, just like all the people in Birmingham that like are the number one rated market for every time there's a college football game. But Nebraska, and they're very, very, very well educated in the sport. They have like the smartest fans. And so and they also it's, too it's fantastic. I think that the one thing that I will say about Nebraska fans that I've always been impressed with is they understand the dynamics of how the sport works. They're very smart yes. fans. And as a result of that, they've done a very good job of reassessing uh, what the actual uh, baseline for success is for their program. Yes. Because there are some irrational fan bases out there that would be like, hey, we won national championships in the 90s. We were king shit back then. And now mm-hmm. uh, they would still expect that to a certain extent. I think Nebraska just wants to be a 10-win program. And I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. And yeah. I got to say that I really enjoyed the... Uh, Matt Rule crowd surfing swim video after the game on Saturday. And, you know, they've had a lot of really hard times there. And they've had a lot of games that are just laughing stocks nationally of just look at this dumb thing that happened or this turnover or this terrible call or this onside kick and, you know, inexplicably losing like 20 games in a row by one possession. Like it was just an awful, awful experience. So the fact that they got a coach in there that I think can just make them competent and and just kind of does business the right way should kind of stabilize to a nine ten win team i think in a few years i don't know what's going to happen when the big 10 west goes away but i i, I buy stock in the direction that nebraska is going yeah. competent to push the envelope right like look at what yeah. rule was able to do when he was at temple um it's all about recruiting and i think you're right you guys are exactly right with the tradition there uh, nebraska fans care a hell of a lot which especially is a testament when things aren't going well um, have you guys ever, either of you guys ever covered a game out there? Yeah. Yeah. Many times, been, many times. They've got oh, post-game high yeah. at that place. Cause I said, <laughs> I was out there once and Penn state just has not been back there much the way the schedules have lined up. Um, awesome place, awesome venue, awesome yeah. fans. Um, and that was the thing, like when they went out and hired Matt Rule, I was like, I hope this works for them because like you mm-hmm. want, you want to see this program succeed. Right. And I think that's also the great thing with college football is, you're going to have a team that's excited to be in a bowl game, right? How much have we heard about opting out and how the people grumble and, oh, it's ruining the sport and this and that. And well, why do we have all these bowl games? Why do they matter? Uh, for guys like this, our, our sad Husker fan in New Mexico, this is, you know, this is why it <laughs> potentially matters. Um, I can see Ari's getting ready to roll his eyes right now because if you don't have all the five stars, you're not going to be for national No, no, title. I like Nebraska. Okay. And I have a good, I, the thing I want to say is if you are – a stadium ops person, you should take a page out of Nebraska's playbook yeah. and always have post-game pizza. And yeah. the other thing I wanted to say was that Nebraska isn't short on money in buy-in. Yeah. So, you know, I know the geography mm-hmm. is kind of a challenge there, and they don't necessarily live in the hotbed of high school football talent, but it is a very attractive place, I think, for transfers. And, you know, I do think that there's a chance that that team could catch lightning in a bottle and and do something big. I, I Maybe not I were, this time, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ari, too soon. I think in general, I I mean, this is my 16th year covering college football, and so I haven't interacted with every fan base, right, all the time. But I've interacted with a lot of fan bases. And in my experience, the Nebraska fans are the smartest fans and among, if not the most passionate, without veering into, like, toxicity very often. Yeah, no nastiness, Or at least not in my experience. You don't. it's usually when they're mad, they're going to write you a 600-word email that's like, Manifesto. Points. You made some good points in there. Like, okay. Yeah. So you got my email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a good question, and I and I hope, and I'm happy to hear. Congratulations on the six years of and marriage. women's and volleyball at Nebraska. Lean yeah. into that, right? Shout like out. that is yeah. incredible. 
spectacle. Lean into that run just in case the football maybe falters here down the stretch. I hope not for you, but just in case, definitely embrace that because that's super, super cool. I don't know if we have another one. We have one more voice. One more. One more from Atlanta. Hi, this is Steven from the Atlanta area, and I'm a Bulldogs fan, full disclosure. I'm wondering if we're going to see down the road that Oklahoma was one of those teams that Texas had no business losing to. But also, I just wanted to uh, touch on David's point from last night about the Auburn game. They, they have a lot of new pieces this year, and Auburn was the first uh, home game for Carson Beck, so that's a lot of dynamics to throw at a first-time starter with a new OC and a lot of pieces you're trying to, to get to come along in the offense, like Ra Ra and Dominic Lovett, who apparently are still coming along in the offense. So I don't know about that, uh, Mr. David Weird Food Takes Oven. All right, thanks, guys. Love the show. David Weird Food Takes Oven. They're normal food takes. They're normal food takes. All of them. So crazy people don't know they're crazy. Uh, The (laughs) thing that I didn't like about the question is he's trying to make me wrong about Texas before I'm going to inevitably be wrong about them. So like that, let's, you can't have, I don't care if Oklahoma loses out. Like they are, uh, that's a team that, you know, you lose to in a rivalry game and they played really well in that game. So I am not going to buy that. Yeah, obviously, I don't buy it either. At the end of the day, they they were struggling with a team that what I just looked it up, eighty second in defensive yards per play from Auburn. It just wasn't good. That's fine that you didn't play well. Uh, also, uh, our commenter Matthew C says David Oven is a Carson Beck denier, not a Carson Beck denier. I think he's yeah, good. You are. I just don't David think Oven, he's like CBD Carson yeah. Beck denier. I just don't think he's like uh you know a guy that. Well, first I don't think he's as good as Stetson Bennett. For starters, but I just don't think he's going to be like a uh, JJ McCarthy. A, yeah, no, yeah, like a like a world beater. Basically. Like who? Like JJ McCarthy? <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. That's what you said, right? <laughs> I, right now, I think well, I would be. I think they're on very similar planes. Carson Beck and JJ McCarthy. Yeah. If you put them on in on, if you I'm going to tear you a new asshole if you don't keep talking. <laughs> All right. Here's a shovel. You, you want to dig yourself out of that? Do you think if you switch those two guys on opposite teams, their numbers would be starkly different? Do you believe that? You're making my point from the first question right now. No, I'm not. What are you talking about? You just said that a first year starter that some people view as a liability is on the same plane as JJ McCarthy. The guy he's that's not a lot. Li- I don't care what, what are you talking about? some people think he's a li- He's not a liability. He's good. I just don't think he's like unbelievable, and I. And you don't think JJ enough. McCarthy's unbelievable? No, I think they're both good enough to win a national title at their schools and win. It's a, a lot and, easier to win a national championship when you have nine hundred five stars on your team. What are you talking about? You're driving me crazy. Yes, I am aware, Ari. But this the question George, about Michigan was whether or not they had a quarterback that can overcome the not having the five stars part. No, there wasn't. You were you were hearing the not having the five stars. The question was just about not having game breakers at the at the at the. Uh, at the listeners the skill know position know talent. what's up. You're you're you just talked okay. in circles. That was that no, was. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't I like didn't. that. You flipped. I apologize to the gentleman in Atlanta who I completely derailed his question. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go to I'm gonna we're gonna end this show and I'm gonna be mad about that. I didn't like that. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs>
Ari, your point about the lack of dynamic players on Michigan's offense is well taken in the comparison to Mecca Egbuk and Marvin Harrison at the receiver position. But I don't know how you get through a conversation about dynamic playmakers and don't mention J.J. McCarthy as a weapon that provides an advantage at the quarterback position over both Ohio State and Georgia. To Dave's point, I would disagree with his assessment uh, of the relative strength of the offensive line. I think Georgia's offensive line is better than Michigan's last year, but I think Michigan's defensive line has been very impressive. Let me read this line again. I don't know how you get through a conversation about dynamic playmakers and don't mention J.J. McCarthy as a weapon that provides an advantage at the quarterback position over both Ohio State and Georgia. Do you want me to read it a third time? I think he's definitely better than Kyle McCord. I think you could make a case that he's better than Carson Beck. I don't think we've seen enough from either of those guys to definitively say it. I think they're very similar guys. So then, to me, the question is or the answer to that question is no, he's not a dynamic playmaker. If you don't know the answer to the, whether he's better than Carson Beck yet. Like, I think those are the same thing. That's, that's all I I'm saying. I think they both can be. I, we just haven't seen enough of Carson Beck yet. We've seen a lot. I like what I've seen. If you go back and look at him in, against Kentucky. I mean, I could be in Baywatch when they reboot it, but I can't right now. I mean, anything <laughs> can happen. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a Well, there there I, is an image we all have on a yeah. Sunday night now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. We've been going for an hour and 10 minutes. We got Sunday night football on. I think my wife is cooking up some chili. I think I'm going to go, uh, you know, smash that. But it was a good episode. <laughs> don't forget to chuck it deep. Thank you guys so much for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday, Sunday Sound Off Edition. Um be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come up. If you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and like to listen to this in your car or anywhere else while you're jogging or whatever it is that you're doing, uh, the link to the podcast feed can be found in the show's description and vice versa. Um, this episode is a lot of fun. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the uh, Until Saturday newsletter. Catch us live Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on this live stream. Uh, We are getting into the fun part this week, which is the first college football playoff reveal. We'll have all of the coverage that you have found to be uh, necessary during your college football experience here in the Until Saturday feeds. We thank you guys so much for listening. For Audrey Snyder, Dave Ubbin, I'm Ari Wasserman. Thank you for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday. Bring back the turnover chain and chuck it deep every day.